Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 640 with Jason Sabala. And the idea is you learn everything you can about the job above you, and you teach everything about your job to the people behind you. You don't keep your, like, oh, I know how to do payroll. Do this. So it's like, it's such your job security. No, because as we grow and as we want to do stuff, and opportunities arise. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable, and when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. When your employees are empowered to speak up internally, you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems. Ethics Suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry, including the restaurant industry. Unethical workplace behavior is a threat. It's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable it doesn't get easier than cake cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use with cloud-based access from any device 24 7 customer support and a lifetime access to cake university how could you not love cake to learn more about cake point of sale head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable and because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener you will save 750 dollars off activation again that's trycake.com slash unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest jason sabala my man jason are you feeling unstoppable today you just caught me coming out of the the team workout gym so yes i am definitely (laughs) feeling unstoppable yes that is what we like to hear so once upon a time austin texas hometowner jason sabala had aspirations of becoming an elementary school teacher until one day when sabala broke up a fight at an austin well-known nightclub emos this experience took him on a new trajectory into to the world of security and eventually nightclub ownership. His experience at Nemo's gave him the skills and knowledge ne- uh, necessary to eventually open his own nightclub in Portland, Oregon. Zabala's today, Jason Zabala is the owner of two Buzzsaw Mill Coffees with a third on the way and Paul Berger. I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I would say that for me at this moment right now, uh, I'm really digging. uh, You got to kill the man you are today to be the man you want to be tomorrow. Mm, You got to kill the man you are today to become the man you are tomorrow. Dive into that and why it resonates with you. It's about every day we work with our team and our tribe, but getting better every day, like whatever it is. Like uh, we don't really look at other restaurants, coffee shops, bars being competition. We look more like what is the best version of us. And so I think when we uh, get done with the workout, having the team come together, put our hands in a pile and, you know, kill the man you are today. It's like, cause we just killed ourselves. <laughs> then, yeah. You know, so that's where 
it's kind of resonating at this moment. And it's so. that, that mantra, that mentality of not comparing yourself to others, but to yourself the day before. And the cool thing about that mantra is that um, other people are they tend to be stationary. So if you're, if you're comparing yourself to somebody else, like that's a fixed point, right? Right. And then you're better than them and you're like job done. Right. But when you're comparing yourself to the man you were yesterday, you're constantly improving. There sure. is, it's, it's infinity, right? There is no end. There's always improvement. There's just a constant yeah. lane. Of I improvement. would say for the infinite game we talk about, I mean, we'll definitely dive in that later, but we, we are definitely playing. And I personally am playing more of an infinite game than a finite game with a, a beginning and an end. We're really trying to set levels where, we almost can reach them, but, you know, this is going to go on for a long time after oh, I'm gone. So. Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to, to start sharing your story? Uh, take us to that point where you broke into the industry, how you broke into the industry, why you broke into the industry. Uh, I was actually going to school. I was, you said earlier to be an elementary school teacher. Uh, got a summer job, uh, 19, being on 6th Street, working at the Black Cat. Just f- following in that and then moving into op- uh, working into emos. I started to see the money that you could make when you started these bartenders were making things that just made more sense than at that time in the nineties trying to become a school teacher. It just, you look at the wages, it was like, this is crazy. I can (laughs) totally do this. And you know, so falling into that and it was, seemed to be a lot more fun at that time. I I felt the need to to point that out in the introduction just because I feel like elementary school teacher and nightclub owner, those two worlds couldn't be, Oh, they're nine day. <laughs> More different. They're nine day. So, uh, but I think it's also interesting. I think that the that you were are somebody that at one point, maybe still to this point. I mean, you you seem to want to be a teacher. You, you, that 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 bug to teach seems like it's always been inside of you. Is that safe to say? It, for sure, it, for sure. And uh, I will tell you this: that I was just talking about this this morning to a guy. Uh, that look in a second grader's eyes when you tell them something that a piece of knowledge, that look and that excitement. It's been Mind missing blown. for a very yeah. long time, but I've been working a lot mentoring some guys at Texas State and University of Texas and startup guys, like not pe- people that have an idea and they want to do something like, and then helping push them off the cliff and be like, all right, let's go do this. The look in their eye is almost similar to me. And so I've regained that in the last couple of years, that magic. And so, it, yeah, it's a lifelong, lifelong teacher, lifelong learner myself. So describe, describe that look. Um, what is being communicated to you in that look? Try to really paint the picture of what that look is. I think when you do a lot of reading, which I try to do, and you're gaining this knowledge, it, you you learn almost more and take it in. I think grasp it more when you're when you telling someone it, like almost regurgitating to someone else. And so you're reading these points and they're blowing your mind. And then when you can turn around and say that to someone else that look in their eye is just an aha moment. We talk about those aha mm. moments. That's, that's definitely those moments where, listen, if somebody would have told me this 20 years ago, 25, you like the difference it would have made. And that's what I'm trying to do now is like talking to these kids and trying to really figure out how do I save you this, <laughs> this last 25 years that I've had my ladder against the wrong wall. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm in definitely in the restaurant nightclub business, but I really am more in the teaching and tribe building and culture business. Like that's the experiences we're trying to create or like having the best margarita in town. I don't give a shit about that. We're really trying to take this thing to another level with the community. And if I can help you have this mindset uh, like now, it'll make you a better owner. Like 
and, and possibly save you a lot of time and heartache. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's a really common uh, attribute to people who get into this industry, the desire to, to leave people better off, whether that be a better off through the service of hospitality, uh, just giving somebody a good experience or leaving them better off by giving them a, a piece of knowledge or something to make them a better person. Right. It's, it's that 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 when you see the actual event of somebody being better off, whether it be through the hospitality or through the sharing of knowledge, it's mm-hmm. just a, such a rewarding feeling. Is that, that's kind of what I'm getting from you. It is more of a, they talk very simply that pleasure is a feeling that's in the body mm. and happiness is kind of like when you buy, like it's a, it's a feeling in the mind, but fulfillment when you're helping others and people are taking another step, that's like the stuff that sticks to your ribs. That's mm-hmm. like, so that's your soul that's inside. So, I really try to figure out a way that we live, help people live a life of fulfillment uh, with when, when they when they join our team and do the things we do. Because what you're talking about in the service and hospitality industry, like I don't see it so much that way. I mean, I see it more that people get in these situations where they're they, they, it's fast money, easy money. I'm strictly from the bar music venue world. I'm not talking about like a fine dining or a. Uh, craft cocktail bar. I'm talking about like turn and burn. We've got 2000 people at this show. Let's get as many people, get their money and get them out the door. Mm-hmm. That's those people that are living that lifestyle where every night is a different crowd. Like it's, it's not like sitting there wiping down the wine glasses and talking. It's like, this is like, Hey, how you doing? What do you want? Next person. Yeah, so, you're not trying to create regulars in the nightclub scene or a no. music venue because typically the people that come to that show are fans of the band Correct. not the not the venue itself so what that what when, what that doesn't turn is you're just there make stacking bills the only and loyalty that. that's going on is the loyalty from the, the the venue performer and the people that are coming yeah. hours maybe to, to come see that favorite band play. i think there was a period of time when emos in the 90s and the aughts where it was a lot more of a you knew no matter what even if you didn't like uh experimental music or you didn't like metal like you knew that we were going to have one of the best versions of that so you would just show up be like it's gonna be a good show i don't don't, don't even like reggae but man this is gonna be some cool shit so So your first gig you mentioned was uh black hat any um mentors or key experiences there i'll tell you what i learned from black Hat. like it's two things that i really stuck out paul sessoms was the owner there and i'll tell you he was a maverick like he was not a normal six street owner like he's the guy who health department told me he couldn't do this so he put a hot dog he he couldn't sell hot dogs at these little warmer things, so he gave them away. Give us a little bit of context here, Sixth Street owners. So people are listening to this all over the world. We're in Austin, Texas. What is a typical a Sixth Street owner in Austin, Texas? Man, typical Sixth Street owner. Uh, I'll say it's a lot of college shop bar. Like I mean, we're talking early. We're talking the early nineties, eighty nine, mm-hmm. ninety. A lot of shop bars, music, a lot of music, like open air music. Where you walk down the street and you, you stop by the stop by the first club, they're playing blues. You're like, no, nah, I don't want to hear blues. Next club, reggae. Next club, punk music. It's like, you could walk up and down, and that's what it was. And Paul was one of those guys where he just had a knack for getting people. Like one of the things he did, with the black cat. Like early on, this really stuck in my mind. Like if you had a black cat t- tattoo, a panther of anything, you got in for free. That's so like. Awesome. Immediately, that started a cult culture. Like old Navy guys would come in with this. Pan- I mean, like it, it was really cool to see. Like, wow, that guy didn't get this tattooed for the black cat, but he happens to have one. So, it still created this connection that he was able to bring. So, that aspect of him and just how he was just—he just, he just broke, I won't say he broke the rules. He just—he didn't just stand by and they say that's what you have to do. You can't do this. He's like, why? 
you know. And yeah, like, writing the rules, right? Yeah. Paint, charting your own path and getting creative. And that's and, what was really what I, what I would say that I gained from him was like, and that dude, that, that was something where I was strictly a security guy. I sat at the back. I mean, I wasn't even. I didn't even have worked my way into bar backing at that point. I was strictly break up the fights, drag people out, or you know, check IDs and yeah. clean up glasses. Like I wasn't even in the level where. I got close enough to him that we're learning more and more about the bar business. I just outside looking in or in the, awesome. on the edge looking yeah, in, right? For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, how long were you here? About a year and a half is what I think I read. I'd say about that. And why, what was the transition for? Why, why moving out? I got a chance to go to emos. Okay. So how did that happen? <laughs> the, uh, a friend of mine, Craig Merritt, uh, and Charlie Lynch, these guys out of Waco, some wildcats. They, uh, we just, went to we hung out and we went to shows and so uh charlie and i actually had started working i worked at the airport for a hot minute i worked okay. for a air freight company and so charlie and i were both drivers and he was he's like you gotta come meet these guys and so he took me to waco one weekend like i met all these dudes and then they had all migrated to austin and uh we just started going to emails started going to shows and so i think it was a matter of breaking up a fight and it was somebody you know, saw and they were just like, yo, you want to work here? And I was like, yeah, dude, I love this. This stuff's fun. You know? <laughs> so you weren't always just working security. You eventually, uh, progressed, uh, take us through the evolution of your time at Emos specifically. Well, after about two years, I'd say of the, the, the excitement of fighting every night kind of wore off, you know, like <laughs> that, uh, it just wasn't what. I was watching these other these guys counter tips the other night, and it's just like, dude, this, what am I doing? I'm, you know, so uh, became simple things like uh, they'd ask, "Hey, go get a case of beer," like you know, starting to help the bar back who's helping the bartender, and then they would kick you down some money. Like, whoa, all right. So then uh, started easing into that, and like really back in that day, emails was a little rough and tough. So also like if you if your bartender and your boys are like, "Yo, this guy's got to go," and like you were the you were the dude who was. Oh, I'm gonna get Sabala on this guy. You know, like <laughs> that was, you just got they kind of fell into the favoritism with them a little bit. And so the more you were in doing things like that, the more they were like, "Hey, come, you, hey, this guy's not gonna be here now. You want to come do this?" And they were teaching you more. And yeah. So I think there's a need to paint a picture of what Jason Sabala is as far as your stature. <laughs> uh, probably what six two, six three. Oh, come on, man, I'm six four. five. Six five. Yes, okay, sir. Six five. Uh, I mean. Me, I don't want to do want to throw your weight out there over 300 yeah. over 300. We're, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. So uh, he's going to people are going to listen, I guess, or, especially if they're not going to listen to your words. They're going to listen to you walking up to him. I would right? say <laughs> always in a bar. It's like these day, day and age, obviously, with all the mixed martial arts and the, yeah. like, you don't know. Look for the guy with the ears that are all fucked up. Yeah. You know? like but cauliflower. Ears. Yeah, yeah. So, but in general, back, yes, for the most part, when he come up is the typical bouncer thing. And so, uh, and you got to remember also in, the, in these situations, most like you're backed up by four. I mean, we had a crew at that time where we like there's five or six guys my size. So yeah. it wasn't you knew if you get got into this thing for the most part that the cavalry was coming one one way or another. You know. So, so so what was the evolution of being a bartender selling drinks like? Well, that was a very long. I mean, bar back for a while, and I, I mean under a guy. Uh, in Kambala and like he was just pretty much showed me the ropes from from that standpoint and uh became like a brother to me and so that was just a matter of growing and growing and growing bar backing learning as much as you could uh knowing where everything was and just making just knowing when I got that chance to start serving drinks that I was going to do it and I was going to the guys that were my bar backs I was going to show them this is what I want and this is what we want and uh, I'm going to make you good help you be better so, 
So, what was the name of this gentleman that you just mentioned? Uh, Kambala, his name was Kambala. Kambala? Yeah. What were the, the lessons he taught you, um, aside from the basics? Did he teach you any ethics or values or uh, industry standards, the, the less common knowledge stuff that are rules to live by that you can share with my audience? Uh, I would say Kevin taught me a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I would say the like the, the fact that a bartender like there was a status with the, the, the bartender like there was an, a code almost a, an etiquette that uh, we didn't always you know he we, he had those fun things where it was just like someone come be like what's special and I'd be like your your mom your mom's special like, what, like you know things things that today just don't like that they don't translate i would never teach our guys that but he had this sense of humor and he still does to this day he has a sense of humor and so it was creating a relationship almost where the the transactional aspect was turned into more of an interaction you know what i'm saying where it wasn't just when i talk about that turn and burn there still was a moment within every transaction that there was an interaction that really was important and so i think learning that not every every transaction was like that so you you need to make the person feel if you want to get that tip in the tip jar you have to come into it somewhere you got to meet them somewhere in there and just go a layer deeper give me an example of something you can do to go that layer deeper to to make the experience the transaction more than just a transaction but an experience well, I mean, especially in a lot of music bands, like, like you like these guys, you're like, or if they've got a shirt, or like, or you know, even make fun of them if they've already put the shirt on for the show. That the audience is like, "Yo, you know, that's the, the you're breaking the rule," you know. So <laughs> things like that. I think that's where. So you just have fun. Is what yeah, I'm hearing. You it, know, it, it doesn't have to be a, a like a cut and dry transaction. Make it an interaction. What we had and what we were doing, yes, it was all like you know, it's like it was all in fun and it was all like that. But having that, having. We're part of your experience because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're selling these people is an experience. They I think, can get beer anywhere. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think it's important. Earlier we mentioned that these venues, uh, you're not going to be running into the regulars like you would at a, a local pub, right? These are people that are coming to see their band play. So you have even less time to establish a rapport and to get on this person's good side. Let me be clear on that. I will say that there was a period of time where we had plenty of okay, people okay. that came out the show. Thank you for correcting me. But it has really grown into... I mean, there was a period of time where you could stand in the front of the stage of emos and look down and see a frat boy, yeah. a cowboy, a skater kid, like, and everybody was in it and having fun. Like, I think that we've really gotten to an area now where it's even more, it's clicky. It's like, oh, I, I don't go there. Like, I think that there was a magic period of time and we really diluted that when we, when we, as emos grew and we started like, you know, got popular and like, you know, every time there's something that's cool, people start to gravitate towards when we moved it, we took the soul. Like when we took the, we moved over to Riverside. It completely, you had this thing where like, a singer is ha- picking, putting the mic in the crowd right in front of the, you know, like the kids singing into it. Then we took it over to another, over on Riverside. And we put a barricade up six feet away in the state. It's like, it just disconnect. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, you have ACL, like these festivals started to come and you have this guy who's on the stage and you're on, like, it really, really took away from what we what, what, intimacy. What, that, that intimacy yeah. we had at one point okay um so take us through the evolution i mean we already mentioned you got in uh with security bouncing um you eventually saw the the money that these bartenders are reeling in and then you started to evolve as a bartender uh, eventually you became 49 percent owner of emos how that was you go that from was security? something man where you you come <laughs> into a situation where i just busted my ass i started i started to really pay attention and i really I mean, Emo took a liking to me. Eric Hartman, the guy who actually started Emos, he took a liking to me, and he really. I, I, if there's one person you want to talk about, like what I would say, Emo. He just 
he instilled in me early on how you take care of people and they come back where it's like, we don't need a contract that says you're going to get this, this, and this. If I said it, we're going to do it. And so uh, a lot of handshake deals and a lot of times where integrity bands would pass off going to another place for more money because they wanted to come be with us because they knew that we were the ones that were going to get them barbecue get them their blow, get them, get them to after part. I mean, like, so, you know what I'm saying? It's different than that transactional. When I show up to the venue, here's your money, get out. Like, thanks for playing. Get out of here. Like it was, it was extended family almost. Mm -hmm. And so he really, really pushed the, the, uh, that envelope for, for me. And so saving my money at South by Southwest, I just was able to save my money. And I got a chance, uh, Jeff Pincus, who's uh butthole surfers, uh, Melvin's, he, he was, I think at the time he was getting married and his wife wanted him to dump all this stuff, like some guns and his car and his shares of emos. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I will take all of it, you know? And then unfortunately for him, uh, she left him years later for a guy in the church and he, you know, he comes back. He's like, Hey, what's He's like, dude, you can have the guns and the car and shit back, but dude, I'm not giving up emos. And so at that point I was knee deep in it. And every year at South by I'd, I'd save my money and I'd ask Eric, I'd be like, what? Who's left? What do we got? He's like, oh, I got two brothers. Dallas, like, okay. What so do he I-? started headhunting. Yeah, I was like, who else is in this? Who else? And then we eventually got we, to the point. We're talking about people who other people who have shares in emos that yes. you're looking to absorb their ownership. Yeah, because these guys had he had set the deal up where they had put their money in and made their money back, and so it wasn't it wasn't a cash cow. So it was like this was more like this was I wanted this. I wanted those in my heart. I wanted to be, you know. And so we got to the point where Eric's like, look, we're. Fifty-one forty-nine. Like, do you want this? And so, and he. he what has, year is this now? Because you got in around ninety-three, ninety-four, right? I'd say ninety-eight. I'd probably say I'm going to guess ninety-four so years. Of, it, t- it took you from going to yeah. accidental fight breaker upper to half ownership, forty-nine yeah. percent of one of the best venues in Austin. We were making bank, dude. That was a time when we had shows almost every night and. You were making money. So big things that I'm pulling out of this portion of your life so far. Uh, something that comes up always on the show. I'll save that for last. But the first thing, obviously, um, is is developing the relationships. It, it Business is about relationships. For sure. Uh, and, and managing relationships and showing people that you value them and, and showing them that you value them through your actions and taking care of them and making it transformative, right? So they'll pass up better deals to be with the right. people they know, like, and trust, right? So that's the big, the first big lesson I'm pulling from you. The second big lesson, this is my favorite thing that comes up all the time on the show. Treat it like you own it. And if you treat it like you own it, eventually someday you will. Absolutely. Right? And uh, I think this is the first example on the show where somebody took the path that you took where they slowly started absorbing shares. Uh, you know, and I think that what, what advice do you have for somebody who might have this opportunity in front of them where they're a part of a restaurant group or a restaurant where there's multiple share owners? What's that approach to absorbing shares and, and, and treating it like you own it and eventually owning it in the way that you did that? I would say that it goes back to the infinite game where you have to be working for someone, someone that has this infinite idea where they want this idea what the business for good, what we're doing to go on after the owner gets hit by a bus or moves on to another pasture. Like you, if you're in a spot, it's really about the culture and that aspect of having the ability to do this. Like I got lucky, like, you know, that he was willing, I've, I worked for other owners, uh, that, that's not that's not something that they're not willing to give up shares and ownership, you know. And so, and a lot, you have to get in that right culture, and I think that's a big thing. But I will say, we teach this with all our leadership, and it's very, very important. 
And the idea is you learn everything you can about the job above you. And you teach everything about your job to the people behind you. You don't keep your, like, oh, I know how to do payroll. I do this. So it's like, it's such your job security. No, because as we grow and as we want to do stuff and opportunities arise, I want to be able to say, hey, I need to take you over to this store and you're going to be the manager. They're like, oh, I can't. You're, you're, you're the best bar back we got here or the best, you know. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I tell Jimmy <laughs> everything I know and I've already learned everything Larry knows. So very simply, having a team that one, learns the job above them and teaches the job behind them. There's none of this. The, the management is just, it's just a different level. And I think that is something, if you can do that while you're going through this three, four years, these transitions to get to ownership is learn as much as you can. Now I'm very big on the employee to entrepreneur. Like our goal is obviously the buzz mill tribe and the things that we're doing. This is my dream. This is not your dream. I want to get you across the bridge, what you're supposed to be doing. So you have to find an owner who's Willing to do that because there are some owners who be like, why would I teach this guy what I know so he can be my competition down the road? That's not what we're trying to. That's not what we're trying to do. And so you just got. I, I see the right situation and the idea of learning what's above you and teaching behind you. So what's the best way if you're a young buck coming up looking for this owner that is willing to give opportunity? How do you know that they're willing? How do you, how do you know that, that you're on a team that could give you this type of opportunity? Is it by looking, doing your research, talking to other people who have grown with the company or just straight up asking? Like, I think the gr- greatest uh, recommendation you can come across is people that are actually already working in the system. Mm. Um, what you may run into some clouded where people like, you know, emails, there's a period of time where like we, did, our bartending staff didn't change for almost 10 years, you know, because once we got in there, like we weren't looking to absorb more guys because we had a pretty sweet gig. So what would I tell a young buck who's, I'd say ask around, and you can almost honestly, the the the, the ownership and the teams are authentic. You, you, it'll you'll uh, you'll see it. I, I just think that people are happy. Like you go in a bar and the guys just like, "What do you want?" It's like you don't want to be there. Like I'm saying, you want to go in a place where it's like we teach this a lot too with the job purpose versus job function. Like yes, the job function is to make drinks, take orders, make sure they're not to make the right change, but your job purpose sometimes. Sometimes, all the time, is you have a girl. Girl, this is her one night out a week. Like making it special for them. Mm. You know, for us, the coffee in the morning. Like it is the. We're not just making coffee. That's a job function. Job purpose is we're kickstarting someone's day. Mm. So when you go into a place, and the people are treating their job like a, a purpose rather than a function, that's a good sign that someone in leadership, at least in your the immediate management, is is getting these people to understand that. Look, if you're just you, you can tell when you go into a place. You can tell when people are happy and fulfilled, and like that's the first sign. So if you can find a place, be like, "Hey, why are you also happy?" Like, like, oh, dude, we get benefits here. We get this. Like, our owner takes us out on these, like, you know, vacation. Like, you know, there's just so many levels to it that I think you just have to ask the staff. You, you won't see it or read it somewhere. I think that you'd have yeah. to really talk to the staff. And I was just, you know, I was just thinking like, don't, don't read what the job description says, read what the energy is, what the culture is, go right. into the restaurant and experience it a couple of times before going for a job interview and just witness what it's like, you know, be a fly on the wall. Uh, what, what's the energy like? What's the, what, you know, what are people doing behind the scenes? Are there, are there servers and bartenders bitching and moaning about things? Right. You see it all the time. You go to a restaurant and you're just sitting down doing whatever. And you hear the people behind the counter, just like, you know, squawking about how they don't like this or that, like just absorb it. Right. And, and I think there's and, a little bit too in the application process yeah. when you do, when you do go apply someone, you're talking to the, inter- the interview, there is, how do I say this? Like 
if the, they're talking to you about your like what's oh I see you been a barista for ten years and like I'll tell you like I don't even look at resumes when I get my shot at the person <laughs> I put that aside and I'm just like look what are you into like yeah. like tell me give me one trait in human beings that you admire most tell me what you like about people and then they tell you like oh authenticity or, or honesty I'm like you know great Buzzmill what we're doing we admire passion and purpose like so. What you love to do, what you're good at, what you can make money at, that's what your calling is. So what's your calling? And so if someone's not asking you those types of questions and they're more worried about, you can teach anybody to make a cocktail. You can teach anybody to make a coffee, at least the business that I'm in. When you get up to like probably sous chef, like I'm sure there's a level where you have to look at some type of experience. But at the end of the day for us, I'm hiring people's, attitude like what like so when you when people are asking you about stuff more about who you are and what you want to do rather than this experience line that is i think that's a that would be a sign that i'd be like this company is a little different i mean at least that's what i hope when people come they come to our interview like what the fuck was that like that was completely like gotta even look at my resume it's like don't care i'm digging this man i think this is a good spot to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to dive into uh, the next 10 years you spent at Emo, uh, I think there's probably some lessons that we can pull from that. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And uh, we got to the point, as far as your story goes, it's 1998. You're now 49% owner of Emos. What did the Because you had Emos until 2011, right? No, sir. No? No, sir. Okay, well, take us through, like, take us through the evolution or what it was like to be a, uh, because Eric, did we get to the point where Eric's, because he ended up selling you all of the emails, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that, right? right yeah. It's about 98. Yep. So take it from that point. All right, so now you're living the dream. You've got, <laughs> yeah. you're in the club. You are the host of the party every night. Mm-hmm. You uh, have bands coming through uh, anywhere you go. You you don't drink. You drink for free. You go places cause, because obviously when they come to your place, you're hooking them up. So it just you get a lot of friends. <laughs> you get you get a lot of people that uh, you. It just grows into something that I think it's it takes a certain person to be able to handle that type of thing. And I I don't want to say it's a celebrity status, but I'm saying there is a level. If you can't get laid as a bar owner, or <laughs> like you, you you really got trouble. If you can't have a group of friends a party with at any time, then you you got trouble. You know? I mean, outside looking in, that sounds like an awesome problem to have. For sure. Right? Uh, but what are the dangers of having that type of uh, recognition and access to other people and things and just having that, that kind of that uh, that aura around you? I don't know that it's a 
danger for everyone, but I can tell you for me personally, not having someone that I had to worry about, like say some what I'm doing, I think caused me to say that one more time, not having somebody to worry not about have someone to who's like your boss or like, I mean, yes. Is the TABC, the liquor commission, your boss is the government, your boss. Yes. I'm talking about someone saying you can't stand in the bar and pour Jameson down everybody's throat right now. It's like, no one could tell. Like I was in a spot where that wasn't something. <laughs> yeah. You can't go and do a cocaine, uh, keg stand on top of the bar. Right. Like, like no one was there to tell us, tell me that I couldn't do that. Um, that was, but there's plenty of people that can take on that leadership and ownership that won't have that issue. But for me, personally, it was a green light to just go off the rails. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where looking at if I ever come across owners that I work with or talk to, like that is my big thing is just like you can't be part of the party. You can't be the party. Like there has to be a complete disconnect. You can love your team. You can love your tribe. But – you cannot become part of the party. You can never be in a position where people see you blackout drunk, acting crazy, because you can never at that point ever come back and say, hey, you can't be doing that. It's like, oh, dude, I just saw you fucking do this. Yeah. So like, so I really got off the rails. The culture isn't what you say it is. The culture is what's actually happening. It's what the reality of the situation is. So you can't expect people to be responsible and lead by example if you yourself aren't doing it in the first place. For sure. And another level of culture for us is what behaviors are we encouraging and what behaviors are we discouraging? So <laughs> when you're out of control, giving away drinks to people, like because now you got a buzz on and you're just passing out drinks, like, well, okay, I'll give out drinks too. So it just, it just really spiraled into something. I got myself in a situa- situation where, one, run out of money, starting to run out of money, like, was totally mismanaging this thing, totally letting probably booze fly out the door, not only myself, but not monitoring anybody, not holding anybody accountable. So I need to go find money. And so I went to a gentleman uh, named Frank Hendricks, and uh, he was like an uncle to me. My dad had worked for him since I was a kid. Uh, he's a car, he's car salesman, but he had a, he's the richest guy I knew. So I was like, hey, you want a bar? I figured I'd get this guy's money. And I'll just sit back and completely still do this thing. So he came in and he very, like, you want to talk about a mentorship. <laughs> I got a mentorship, a, a big one. Say this gentleman's name one more time. Frank Hendricks. Frank, uh, what did Frank teach you? How did he mentor you? Well, during this entire time and getting growing into uh, the spiral out of control, I started partying. I started, you know, storing cocaine was enough. So we started freebasing cocaine, like crack cocaine. And when you're smoking crack cocaine, and you've got people around you that aren't necessarily dregs of the earth, like you're not, you know, like you're talking about other owners you're you're with, other leaders. Like you don't look, you're like, oh, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, I'm not the one crawling on the floor looking for, you know. So there is something to be said when you get in a circle like that. And so what happened was I had free reign of what the bar was. He was going to stand back and not not be involved in any level, just. But for, he had keys to the club, so he came down one night while we were part, like partying at 6 o'clock in the morning because it was a fucking party every night. <laughs> yeah. And he walked in, and right in the middle of the, you know, and I'm standing behind the bar. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm fucking high as a kite. He's like, what's going on? It's like, oh, I'm doing inventory. And they, you know, what are these people doing? It's like, oh, we're, they're helping me, you know. So what I learned was at the end of the day, I ended up – he asked me to take 30 days off. He's like, you should take 30 days off, man. Go do – like – Get right. I'm like, 
no problem. I can do that. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fucking. And so I did. I fucking went and I, I was embarrassed as shit. And I was just like, granted, I'm still the, I'm still the major owner of emails. I'm using Frank's money, but I'm still the owner. I'm on the liquor license. Well, I took 30 days and I came back. And I was like, I'm ready to come back. And he's just like, oh man, talk to the guys. They, they, they don't, they don't want you back. And it's just like, all these motherfuckers that I raised helped be who the, the bartender they were at that point, you know, like raised them or turned their back. I became even more embarrassed. And so I, at that point, packed my bags, sold my house. I put my house on sale, left before it was even sold. And I went, I went west. I just got my truck and drove, I mean, nothing, a couple of Tupperware things of clothing and left. Um, meanwhile, my name is not on the liquor license anymore. My like, I let all this slide. I mean, like because of the the feeling of guilt and like just embarrassment, letting it all go away. And so when I say what did I learn, it's like you fucking got to make sure all, contracts. To, you know, you have to really make sure when you get into partnerships with people, it's very clear what happens if this or this or this. And when there is a right when someone is smoking crack and using company money. Like, what do we do with that person? Even though they're in ownership, how do we bring, like, you know, there has to be a safety catch, a net, but something where they don't fall through the cracks and then, you, like, they're excommunicated. Because I felt like I was excommunicated at that point. I was just like, my name is trash in the bar business here in Austin. Like, I've, like, oh, the guy smokes crack. You know, like, at that point, it became infamous almost. Yeah. And so. I remember email asking me at one point, Eric, because Eric's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you you own the place. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, no, no. I. He's like, your name is on the liquor license, man. Like, what do you mean you just moved away? And so once I got out, what, you know, I was just like, well, wait a second. Like, I never ended up coming back and swinging and fighting on this. Uh, Frank and I remained friends. But I'm saying, well, at the end of the day, to cut that short, is that I learned a very valuable lesson of, you really got to make sure when you trust, put your trust in a person. I mean, at the same time, he put his trust in me, and I obviously betrayed that trust. Yeah. But that was that was a big lesson for me. And like, I went down that path, dude, and it had to happen. It had to happen for me to yeah. get to where I am today. I mean, not. I, mean, I also feel like it had to happen for the business to be successful because you were kind of at this time, <laughs> absolutely. Not to you know be disrespectful, but you were kind of running it into the ground. You weren't leading. You weren't setting for the sure. example. And I think he. Frank did make the, the right call by getting you to get out of the business for 30 days so he could get in there and clean house yeah. and to basically remove the problem. Which was me. Which was you <laughs> at the time. Um, but, you know, and I want to take the time to also thank you and acknowledge you for getting real and mm-hmm. open. I mean, not every, not everybody gets a chance to share their life story. And when they get to do it, they can paint any picture they want. Right. And you're choosing to, to get real with us and to show, share with us that you did have a period, a dark period, where you, you let substance get it. A hold of you and you let it control and your I life. think the reason I feel comfortable doing that and really wanting to do it is because I don't want someone to make the same mistake like if you you are an owner and you're sitting on you're on the tier of being the if you're on the edge of being part of the party and you're finding yourself a little bit coming maybe coming into you're like man I don't like the way I'm waking up and like I don't remember, like I think that there's still time you can still pull you can still come back from it like, there, like there's never a point that you get that you can't evolve and turn back into like and be the leader you're supposed to be. And I think that's why I want to put that out there because it is not every owner and every leader that gets in it is going to be like that, but there are going to be a few. And if I can help those guys or gals 
recognize like, oh shit, I, I've heard this story before. You know, I, if I can help that, we can save them a lot of grief because if, to, to speak very bluntly, if, if the leadership ideas and the mentality I have now, if I would have had that 20 years ago, dude, it, it would be Sky's the entire it, yeah. industry in Austin would be changed. Mm. The entire industry would be a whole different level. The makeup of what service industry folks live with on a day would be different. Like, I mean, all because I would have a different thought process. So I'm hoping we still, we, we still have time to help and change that. And so yeah. that's a big thing. And, um, I mean, I think that there is a testament to a lot of the people that you worked with in the, the late nineties and into the two thousands have gone on to, continue their own successful businesses. And I think that's a testament to, uh, I mean, you did have a positive impact. It wasn't all negative, right? You did transform sure. people. You did mentor people. You did give people the skills and knowledge to go on and go do their own thing. Uh, so there is that. And I do want to acknowledge that, uh, any final words to, to somebody who might be taking a hard look in the mirror right now saying this person that Jason is describing is me. I'm on the edge. I'm losing control. I'm making poor decisions. What, what's your advice for that person who still has time to turn it around? Man, that's a tough one. Uh, I would, I guess I would say it's, it's an easy cop out to get help, but I mean, it really means get help. I mean, what does like, getting help look like? I think you have to acknowledge that and I, I never acknowledged that I had an issue till it was too late. You know, I, I think you have to say when you acknowledge, it's also letting that vulnerability of telling people like, dude, I'm fucked up. Guys can uh, like, I need you. I need Mark. I need you to run this place for a little while because I got to go do like, I need to go to rehab. Like, I think it's really hard and it's very, it's an ego. Bur- bur- it busts your ego. It completely breaks you down. But I promise you, you'll be better off in the long run. And I think that that's being able to understand that you can still come out of this, but you have to, you have to acknowledge it and you have to uh, raise your hand. I mean, a good leader doesn't always have every fucking answer. Like mm. you sometimes have to be like, let's figure that out together. Or let, like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, you, a good leader asks, sometimes says, I need help. I yeah. need help guys. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, just self-awareness. Uh, that, that emotional intelligence is self-awareness, right? For sure. The, the pinnacle of emotional intelligence is self-awareness, uh, self-awareness, knowing where you stand, knowing how other people picture you and, uh, and accepting that and just being real with yourself is I think the peak of emotional intelligence. So searching for that and being okay with whatever the reality of the situation is and being willing to admit that you right. have to make change. Right. So, um, the year now, so you go out west. What's the year? Where are we at on the timeline? Jesus Christ, man. Probably like, I'd say nine, two, 99. I mean, it wasn't long. It wasn't long after getting ownership that yeah. I fucking went down that pipe. Uh, How long were you out there? 2000. I was 2004. I think it was about So four. like five years? Yeah. We got some big, massive boys over here trying to, to join the, the conversation. What are their names real quick? You got Odie and Zeke. <laughs> Odie and Zeke. Brothers, both Mastiffs. One is what, 120 pounds? Well, that one over there is about 160. 160? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, they're trying to join the conversation. So that's just them saying hi if they, if they speak up again. Um, so any lessons? Uh, did, you get, did you clean up your act when you went out west? What, what, did you continue down that path? There was a period of time, man, where I, uh, I went out west and I, I was fucking hell-bent. on I was going to rise like a phoenix, man. I was going to go out there didn't touch... The, the drug after that i was just like i'm gonna clean up and uh i flew my colors one night i i, I went to 
went to Portland, Oregon. I was either going to go to San Diego or Portland. I had a hard time all the time booking when I was helping bands tour. Um, had a hard time finding shows in San Diego. Had a, and Portland seemed like another one where I was just like, couldn't book shows for these bands. And so I was like, I'm going to go to that town because I think I can help. And so we went out. Uh, I personally went out to, to Portland. And I stayed in a, a hostel the first night. And I was like, I put, took my emails jacket. And I was like, I'm going to fly the flag. I'm going to fly the flag and see what happens. So I go out on the first night, and I think Auntie Scene's playing at this place called Ash Street Saloon. My old friend uh, Jason Lang, his brother is Jerry A. from Poison Idea, we're old friends. Uh, he sees me wearing my jacket, and he's just like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm here. And then I say, you know, uh, Kelly from Fireballs of Freedom, like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I just moved here. I'm staying in a hospital. Like, no, 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 no. You come stay at my house, and then it, uh, and then – the band came out, and then Jeff from Andy, like is talking to me, and so the owner's like, "Hey, dude, what uh, what's your deal?" And I was like, "Oh, uh, he goes, I heard you own a club, as I did." And he's like, "You want a job?" I'm like, "Absolutely." So <laughs> that first first night, got a job, security booking. Like, told, I mean, that he's like, "I'll put you in right away." And so I started helping this guy book shows. It wasn't long. Uh, Jerry A from Poison Idea worked at Satyricon, which is the longest running club on the west coast the whiskey closed for i think two nights so that's they they, they hold the they okay. hold the thing so satiricon was the epitome of the punk rock club the the little emos of portland oregon gotcha. and so i got a job that put me in as a booking agent because i knew all the bands i've yeah. been dealing with all these bands for all these Perfect. years through emails. Yeah. so i was able to segue that and so started doing that and after a period of time helping some guys open some bars up there I just want to do my own. And I got to that point where I was still coming back to Austin, though. I was now coming back into Austin for South by Southwest, blowing in. Oh, look at, like, because they're hearing about, like, bands are going on tour telling Frank, like, dude, have you seen, like, dude, Sabal, like, so it became something where it started, I started to rise out there, at least in my own mind. (laughs) I was was rising (laughs) and getting a very clear head about what I want to do, so. Uh, I opened a club and I, I almost, I still had rights to the emo's name. And I, I called Eric and I was like, dude, I'm thinking about opening up emo's Portland. What do you think? And he's like, dude, everybody knows you. So like, why fuck that? Like fuck Frank and fuck. Like, why would you even do that? Like just open up Sabalas. I was like, cool. All right. So I did. And it, we, we, we came out the gate. Dude. Like we fucking, we tried to, um, Portland scene was a little different than Austin scene at the time. Austin, if a band was coming through, you could you could get a band, a local band to play with this band any night of the week. Portland, I was running into a little bit of like, oh, we only play the weekends. It's like, come on, guys. So <laughs> we were able to transition that a little bit, and uh, it still was a fight out there. Like any Booking is such a dirty, dirty world and like just cutthroat. Uh, we still uh, – we did well. And, uh, but I was homesick. I was homesick, man. I was coming back and coming back to South by Southwest and every – like now – with my venue out there, I was even the record label. Like, so now when I come, he was, I was hanging out with the, the, you know, so Frank's seeing this. And I think at one point he's just like, you want to come back? And I was like, fuck yes, I want to come back. So he saw that you got your shit together. He yes, saw sir. that you got clean. You got away from it. Yeah. You started from scratch. You had something to prove. Uh, and you proved it. Yeah. And you earned your way back to Austin is kind of what happened. Did you sell Sabalas? Did you just close it down? We ended up selling it. Okay. Um, and then we moved back. Well, I, this time I, uh, was married and, uh, Moved back and then started work, working again at Emos. So this is two thousand four, two thousand five. I'd say 
let me get this. Let me get my timeline here. <laughs> this is so <laughs> we went out and, there in like '99. You were there for like four I would years. say we were there 2000 to 2000. Came back about 2005. So okay. I was about Portland five or six years. So I'd say five or six years. And I came back. And I think honestly, I think that some of it was guilt. I mean, uh, Frank could be sitting here right now, and he'd be like, "No, nah, I didn't feel like." I, he let me have all my like a big chunk of my shares back. I meet like twenty five percent immediately. Wow! And I was just like, "Now I don't have to kill you. That's great." So, <laughs> uh, coming back in, but there was things. Things were different with some of the guys that I mean, I can tell you one of one of the things is coming back in and seeing that it just was run different. It was it was a money first. It, it had lost a lot at that time. Frank was, I don't, I'm not here to bash what had turned, but he turned almost into, into Disneyland where they built it, grew it into a bigger store space, but it lost some of the integrity. It, it just did. Like anyone, you can say, like, oh, well, he made it so it made money. Yeah, but at the cost of losing soul, some of the soul. And I yeah. think that we were losing some of our best guys because they're like, I don't fucking want to be part of this anymore. This isn't what we started. Yeah. And so. We lost a guy that now owns Little Darling, Mike Sanchez. He was the he pretty much took my spot when I left, and uh, he left. He's like, I'm going to San Francisco. Fuck this, you know. Like this, and so then we lost a great guy named Cody who now uh, runs stuff for the Red River Culture District, but that was the GM of Mohawk for a while. He was like, I'm out. I'm, I'm I can't do this. So like we started to lose some pieces, and so so the priority started to become less about the people and more about. The systems, processes, procedures, and protocols. The, the exactly the, the, and the machine. Fucked up thing, dude, was the fact that I didn't have enough ownership to change any of it. I, mm. I did. I couldn't. I couldn't make the difference that I wanted to make because decisions were being made. Pieces of art that had been there from day one were getting sold. I was like, whoa, that's not yours yeah. to sell. That belongs to the brand. Like so, I always, I always kind of describe this pendulum. When I think of, um, there's a balance, the yin and the yang, right? It's the the balance of systems, processes, procedures, and culture and soul, and you need both of those things to really be the best you can be. And it sounds like when you left that, that, that pendulum was swung far left on culture and energy and the people and the, the vibe, but there was no organization. There was no systems. There were, maybe there were, but few. they were fucking making money. Yeah. But, <laughs> and, and, uh, and when Frank came in, he kind of swung the pendulum. He kind of got rid of the, the, maybe pulled some of the culture, uh, the party life or the, I don't know, the, 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 just the feeling of the place out to focus more on the systems, processes, procedures, and focus on the profit, the money. Um, so, but what sounds like what needed to happen is that that, that pendulum needed to kind of settle in the middle, and it, it swung too far away uh, from the. Soul. I will. I will say this. It also there was a point back in that t- period of time where there wasn't as many clubs as there are now. So, yeah, just out of sheer shit luck, you, like they, they they destroyed because it was the only place that were like you know you know what I'm saying. Finally, when Mohawk opened, like, I'm, I'm just saying. If you're gonna, if we want to see here, it's like I would be just remiss if I didn't like the Frank create these process. Like hell no, it just was. I mean, it was a it was a time where we were getting hit. there wasn't a lot of other clubs to compete with, and it was rocking. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And that's a time we can kind of take our hands off the wheel and say we're making money. Like like great, everybody's making money, mm-hmm. you know. But I really saw a loss of soul from it, and especially when we took it when we left downtown because. Rent was going up, you know. And then we went to a new building that was like a big battleship. Like that was a that was disheartening to to go into that and feel that. And so that's and then ultimately when it sold, it was just like not at, like I was. I thought I was the prince ready to take back when he was ready to go. It was like that's what was going to happen, and that's not what happened. I had some guys I thought uh, we were going to end up taking over, 
and they end up selling to the biggest gorilla in the room. They gave it to C3. Mm-hmm. And so it happened. C3, which they you own know, Stubbs, ACL. I mean, like, they're a monster, a machine. Mm-hmm. And so it was like taking this thing that I grew up with. And I mean, it didn't belong to us. It belonged to the guy who met his wife there. It belonged to the kid who would drive down from Waco to see his favorite. Like, that's who it belonged to. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we we – we took it, we fucked it, and then we just t- turned it out at the end and gave it away. And, like, is it emo still exists? Yes, it definitely still exists. It's down the street. It's right there on Riverside. It's across the street from Buzzmill. But it's not It's not the same. You can put all the, like, it, it's not the same So what's thing. the lesson here? If we can distill a ah. lesson, an ex- like a, an opinion that you've formulated because of this experience, what is it? What can we take away from this? The ex- I mean... I mean, I don't know what the lesson is, man. I mean, that's like, I am rarely short of an answer or a thing. Like, <laughs> like that question you just came out of left field with, I don't fucking know, man. I, I know that when you, if we could tell people when you have something good and you have a culture, hang on to it. I mean, I, I guess that that's what I would say is like, don't sell out for that. I mean, that, that, that money, that, that if, if that's what you're, into for the business of your purposes i want to create this business in this bar because i want to make money then i think you're barking up the wrong tree if you're like i want to create something in my scene that community aspect people can be gravitated towards and be part of and have an impact on people's lives then hanging on to that is i think is 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 more important than any dollar amount that you could ever go do so the year's 2011 now you sell emos uh, or is it 2013 is when you opened Sawmill? Buzzmill? Oh, sorry, was... Buzzmill. Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Have, it, have I done I that a few it, times? It's Yeah. <laughs> Buzzmill, sorry. Sawmill, Buzzmill. All right. Uh, the uh, So 20, let's just, we'll just get, because we, we had a bar at the other end of the, the plaza from Buzzmill. We, had, we moved in, like Frank, we took over Antones. We took over, you know, we helped we helped move in with some beauty bar guys. Point is, by the time we are done, like, like fuck all this, the, the venue scene. We're, we're, we are done with this, okay? Buzzmill is a place where I'm sitting there at Emos. We're still, we're still at Emos at this point, and I'm seeing all these bands bring in Starbucks coffee. And I'm just like, there's no coffee on the side of town, like. And I just was becoming jaded with music. It's like the the battle over you giving a band money and then them playing your place. And then I, like it just, it was really awful. It got to a point where we were, we were just bidding against each other, raising the ticket price for actually really making the, the consumer pay the price because it, we just passed the cost. Everyone just passed the cost on like that $10 ticket because of the guarantee. Now it was became a $15 ticket. And so I just got a little jaded with the, the way the music scene goes. It was a lot easier for agents at this point not to be friends. With, even if you're friends with the band, even if the, fr- the band had stayed at your house 50 times, they had an agent now. And yeah. the agent was friend. He didn't even you didn't even know the agent. And the agent now was friends with the the big conglomerates like C3. Yeah. And so they would just they'd make one phone call and book five or six shows. It was easier for them. You get it, but it, all that work you felt like you put in before yeah. that was gone. So really jaded with the music scene. I wanted to kind of phase out a little bit. I just, the way that we had this, it just was different. So going in and opening up Buzzmill, I wanted to have a place that 24 hours, serve booze, serve coffee, serve food. Our music was going to be different. Like uh, you were going to have an intimate night with the band. We were going to have the band and we were going to let the singer, if he was into comedy, do a little comedy skit. And then the next opening band was 
one of the drummer, he makes tamales. He's going to teach you how to make tamales. And so it was a night, and then the band would play. Rather than having a bill that was five bands all trying to sound like the headlining band, like we really tried to create this. And it worked for a few bands. Come in, there were some really cool moments where people got to spend the night with the band an evening and intimately really get to fan, like really that connection was back. But some bands are like, dude, I just want to come play. I don't want to have to pull, pull out my record collection and, and go be, you know, so it, uh, it just took on a different level. And so I have to tell you, like we, I personally, and, and the Buzzmill business has evolved over those, that period of time. Like it hasn't always been to where we are now. So, Take us through the evolution. Take us through how you evolve. The key things, if you can narrow it down, just a few things that we can try to recreate in our own businesses to evolve. I'd say 2013, open. We're just trying to, we're just trying to get by. Just so, so uh, I think that you're you're sitting on. We were the only place on that side of the river. So we were able to really capture. There's nothing over there, and like we really hit all the sort of building condos around us. But I'd say probably about 20. 15, maybe early 20, like end of 2015, 2016, I went to my mentor and I was like, dude. Which mentor are we talking about now? It's a guy named Jason Mittman. He's a real estate guy. Uh, I was like, I don't, he had at one point tried to sell me, one, I think he wanted at one point, wanted a buzz mill in one of his buildings in the Bronxville. But when we got talking, he's like, dude, you got a lot more going on here. So we kind of created. What do you mean? A, what do you think he meant by that? A lot more going on here. Just the, like the the ideas and the attitude and what we're trying to do and like how to really like, we were, we were big in like cleaning the rivers and doing community events and really like diving into the community and like giving people something to gravitate towards and already working with a lumber society, which is our adult scouts uh, already doing that stuff. So we, he just, we came a friendship and then he's like said he would kind of help me kind of more do some mentorship. So I remember going to him and saying, I don't see how I'm helping my community by selling booze. I really don't get getting people fucked up. Like, how is this helping the community? You know? And I don't know. As an owner, you just you come to a, a crossroads where everything you own, everything you've built in your home is built on someone's vice. Mm. You know? And it's, it's just a feeling that how do we do something different with it? Um, he, he told me, he goes, okay, you don't want to sell booze? Or you don't, you don't see it? Then stop selling booze. I'm like, it's 80% of my revenue. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> How do we do that? He's like, all right, then read this. He had me read Conscious Capitalism. John Mackey, Whole Foods, Roger Sodia. Uh, changed my life. It, I mean, it really changed how I looked at it. And what, what it comes back to is a six win where essentially everyone in the equation wins. There's, 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 and so we've really turned it into the vernacular for Buzz Mill. It's, it's very simple. Uh, cultivate community is our thing that we like to say cultivate is to improve something through care, labor and study community. When people say, well, okay, so you're going to improve through care, labor and study. What say the community? Well, who is the community? We put in our vernacular because of the fort, the logging vibes. One, the camper, everyone who comes into Buzzmill, that's our camper. We take care of them. We want to improve their lives Two, the vendors. We call them farmers. Like, so everyone we carry has to have type of story. We, if we, if we don't align with what you do, we don't, we don't carry your product in our store. Um, we also don't shop you like like we, we try to create a relationship where it's like look I'm not going to go if you can't beat this price it's like we really try to foster that relationship. Uh, the third person is the counselor, the the camp counselor, the employees that we try to make sure that we are involved in their lives and trying to get them across the bridge to where they're supposed to be. And then the last person in that community that we cultivate is the neighbor woods. 
uh, we call it the neighborhoods, the two mile radius around every buzz mill, uh, Mother Earth. It's just if there's any decision that has to be made in the company, everyone in that equation has to win. And I'll break it down to when we wanted to go strawless. Well, we obviously know the sea turtles are going to win because we're not having yeah. we're not having straws. But raising the price doesn't help the stockholders or the the, the, the investors. Doesn't help the customer who has to pay more now, and it definitely doesn't help the person behind the counter, our counselor, because they're not going to get tipped as much. So. We devise a way to you bring your own cup. It brings it back down to the price, and we try to make it so there's no trade-off. Because if there's not, a, if there's a trade-off where one of those people in that group loses in the conscious capitalism, then you're not being creative enough. And so that changed. It flipped the script for me in the sense that everyone has to win. So we're looking out for our, our customer. We're looking out for our, our employees. So was that was that like the to distill the lesson? Everybody has to win. That's the lesson yeah. from I mean, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a win win to the fifth, sixth degree. So absolutely. How has that impacted your business to like today? Like where are you today because of this decision to, to be conscious? I think that we have a near cult following at this point. I think that people, not to use the term cult, I mean, just like people really, our culture is just something that you can totally build another coffee shop next door to us that serves alcohol, that has a wood theme, you can copy our strategy all you want. You'll never copy our culture. Mm-hmm. You'll ne- you'll, it's just we have worked so hard in ingraining it in our people and that it doesn't matter. You know, like, And I think that's where business leaders, as we go, restaurants, bars, whatever it may be, there was a time and things that have changed their industries. And one is when Henry Ford, the, the assembly line. When they did, when they were able to that, they were building faster cars. It changed roads, it changed laws, speed limits. It, it changed. It made a difference. The next thing that came along in the industry was, in my opinion, was TV. So when TV came along, as long as you had a big enough microphone to advertise anything in the world, like you could sell anything. Yeah. But it was almost working from the top down, like just throwing it out to the peons. Well, this next transition, I think, and businesses have to get on board, and they better fucking do it quick. Is culture? If you don't create a culture for your people. It was you got this. You hear this about millennials, like you know what millennials? Their problem is they don't fucking want to work for you to have a Cadillac sitting in your in your, in your driveway or a, a boat on the lake. They want to know that you have servant leadership, mm-hmm. that you are involved, that you are invested in them as well. And that comes back to culture. If you can create a culture where your employee and the person who's working like they are, it's, they I work for them. Like you know the people I have on my staff, like I work for them. My job is to get them to where they're supposed to be. Not live in this bartending or work here for the next twenty years. That's not that's not the goal. So, I think that you're going to leaderships. People need businesses need to start with that. Obviously, you want to have great food, good drinks, good like. But it really comes down to your people internally, and when they're happy, it will flow into the rest. Of the, people will see it. They will come there. They will spend. They will vote with their dollar. They will come be part of what you're doing. And if at the and the back end, if you could even do better and be a B Corp, a benefit corporation, or have a program business for good where your money is going towards something back in the community and doing something, that's all the more reason. You know, so you start with your people, turn the beacon on the, the, the patron and say, Do you want to do some cool stuff too? And that's where the purpose parallel. Like one of the biggest things that changed for us at Buzzmills, I used to make them all come down and go clean the river. But the day that I said, All right. They wouldn't speak about. It. I was like, "What are you? What are you into? What? You're, oh, you're into photography? Great. We're gonna do a photography event. We're gonna invite other photographers. We're gonna create a drink that night. It's called the Snapshot. Uh, we're gonna give ten percent of the bar sales tonight to uh, 
to get cameras for kids at the middle school. You get to host it. They started talking about the events that they had. It wasn't only like, oh, we're going to come clear the river this week. It was like, dude, my foster care event is this Friday. You should come. You should come. And then now the patrons, the people are like, dude, this place, you know, I'm telling you, like, it's been so instrumental for us to be able to have that layer into the community. So you, you said parallel purpose is what you're calling this, right? Purpose parallel. Pur- sorry, purpose parallel. And for those who are listening, um, it sounds like what you're doing is is you're you're finding the passions of the people that you have on your team, and you're aligning your purpose with their purpose, le- leaning into their passions. Right. Uh, dive into why that approach is so effective of of taking the passion of somebody else and and getting their passion to compound on the purpose of your organization. Well, for us, it starts when even at the interview process. Like, if you don't have anything, like you're not like that's not something that you're into, like. You're, it's 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 already we're starting behind the eight ball. So we're really trying to hire a lot of motivated people, and not and working on really hard not to demotivate them. You know, getting all the bright people on the bus is in Jim Collins. And when I say we got to take a right turn, we're all like right turn. You know, not that guy who's like, <laughs> oh wait a minute, you said we we're going to go left. It's like no, man. People understand this is where we're going. We're allowed to evolve. This is the this is where we're going. So purpose parallel is my way our way of giving you the opportunity to move the ball down the court for yourself. Now I tell them all the time, like get away from the P word, the purpose, like, you know, it's like, what's your cosmic thing? Like we have 86,400 seconds every day. What you do with your time is the most important thing. You are trading your time to come work here. So what is something in the world out there that is important to you that you can spend your time on and let me help you spend your time on it because it's not about making an extra $5 an hour. It's like, it's your time at the end of the day is if you are not living a life from your work and that you're fulfilled, then that's fucked up. Mm. There is no such thing as a, uh, what is it? The job or life work balance. Because if, when you love what you do, there's no the, the, the like, like it's like taking on two different hats. It's like if you can go to work and it's working towards something that you're passionate about, that creates a whole nother level inside you. Yeah, and I love it, man. When you're able to have that, it definitely gives you the ability to do that. Hard to believe we're already over an hour and five minutes of recording time. It goes by so fast. We could fast, talk for days, right? I've been loving the conversation. It's really been a treat. Oh, one thing I did see, I see, I saw that you had intention at one point to franchise. Uh, something that I read. Is that still something you're, you're looking? Yeah, to do I can do real, real simple and quick on this, man. Like. I when we opened Buzzmo Austin, well, here's one of the things lumberjack theme. I was tired of seeing Longhorns and the horseshoes. Like I fucking get it. I'm here. <laughs> it's like let's give them something that's ambiguous. That oh, I just walked into the Yukon. I just walked into Vermont. I just walked into Northern California. Giving people that ability is something different. I was like, you know who else is tired of this shit? Baton Rouge. They're, they're tired of seeing gators and swamps. <laughs> like uh, you know Tuscaloosa, all the way to Savannah, Georgia. I thought we could take Buzzmo to every school. The, every SEC, you know, the SEC seaboard, Baton Rouge, Tuscaloosa. And we started with San Marcos and we started to see this. Uh, we wanted to do a store, do a, the stores, a Petri dish of something that was a small college town. Then we started to realize, oh, my God, there's no one there in the summer. There's no one there at Christmas time. <laughs> um, I went and had lunch with a gentleman, uh, considered a mentor. His name is Sam O'Ganham. He's one of my partner's uh, cousins who owns Byright Market in San Francisco, one of the top per square foot places in the world, even more than Whole Foods. I'm pretty sure that that's been uh, recommended 
guests I should have Dude, on the show. Sam Ogiam is Hook the shit. Up. All right, let me see. What I do. <laughs> um, so I'm talking to Sam, and he's just like, I hear you talking, you know, saying all these things. He's like, we didn't. He goes, everybody wants pirate market. I have two in San Francisco. They want one in L.A. They want one in Oakland. They want me in New York. They want me in Portland. He's like, we didn't choose to go wider. We choose, chose to go deeper. We have. Sell amazing groceries. We loan money to our farmers if they need it. We hold cooking classes so these families know how to cook this amazing food. Like, we have made such an impact. And so I was like, hit me like a lightning bolt. Like, why am I trying to go do 25 cities and college towns when I can build five buzz mills in Austin and have the impact in this community and do what I really want to do, which is make a difference here? I love that. I love that. And I, this is the second time I've heard you talk about impact over reach. And uh, when I, the way I think of this, and when we, when we think of growth, when we think of scaling, we think out. Like we need to get bigger, bigger and better means out in our minds. We're hardwired to think this way. Like a tree growing, we think of the branches getting further mm-hmm. out. But true growth happens below the surface. It's under the ground, right? It's the roots. Right. The strength of a tree comes from its roots, right? And it's that depth. It's it's working on yourself and going in and going deep and working on every individual, every aspect of your business to make it even right. better and even better to, to get those roots those roots as deep as possible. And that's the that's the analogy I see in my head when I think of growth. Doesn't come. It's not lateral. You know, it's not out, it's in, it's deep. And that is so powerful. And thank you for bringing that to this conversation. I love that. Um, Anything we have not discussed up to this point that you were hoping we would discuss um, before we move to the speed round and start to wrap things up? I think at some point, man, I'm hoping to get back on here when I'm working on a a, a program that's like my passion, really passion product called Cobra. It's Conscious Operators of Bars, Restaurants of Austin. Hopefully, it turns into eventually someday conscious operators of bars, restaurants of America, yeah. you know, with the Nashville chapter. But it really is about uh, doing business for good. And it really comes down to that. I'm hoping that we get through the infancy right now and we get to the point where we can uh, really let you know all the aspects of what Cobra entails. I'll, uh, I'll be sure to, uh, before we say goodbye, I'll be sure to let the, the listeners know how to connect with you if they want to learn more about that cool. for sure. Uh, but let's take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to, okay. to bust out this uh, speed round. Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees it's that simple find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations 
reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google Search or Google Maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how Cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for Cake Point of Sale. But you have to use my links. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think it's a straight-up perseverance. That perseverance is that thing like after you make a decision in passion and things aren't going great, you still continue on with it. It's like no one will outwork me. Like My team sees that, and they they emulate it. What's your biggest weakness? I think I'd have to say probably – too trusting and too kind. Mm, I feel that. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? It goes back to that inter- first interview question where it's like, what is one trait in human beings that you admire most? Because that tells me a lot. What is one of your biggest challenges today? Biggest challenge today? I'd say you end up getting a man who chases two rabbits, doesn't catch either. It <laughs> uh, goes back to the, the book, The One Thing. Like, like, you have to i get i find myself like oh i'm passionate about that i want to do that I want to, like you just have to really hone in on what you what you're doing and 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 do it i think that's that's a big it's that focus for, acting yes. right follow one course until success yeah i love it uh what is one code of conduct or behavior core value if you will that you teach your team man I, I, it goes back to that learn everything above you teach everything behind you like it's just a it's a core value where you're I mean, real quick, man, the, the the window in the mirror, like our leadership, when things are going great, they look out the mirror and they, or look out the window and they say, these guys are great. Our team's great. When things are go, like the bad leaders, when things are going great, look in the mirror and go, look at me, look at me. On the flip side, when stuff's going to hell, the bad leader looks out the window and says, these guys don't know what the fuck they're doing. And the, our team has a built the ability to look in the mirror when things are going bad and say, how do we not give them the resources? And I think that that is a leadership quality that you just can't get past. What is one standard of service you teach your team to go above and beyond what's expected? Something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. I don't, I don't know a lot about other industry on things, but I will say this uh, leader, leader, we, we give you the ability where these, this is the parameter, like make the customer, make, make the camper happy. Like you'll never get in trouble. You're never going to get in trouble for they drink all the drink and they don't like it. So what? It's not your money. Give it back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is one book? <laughs> Somebody just came home. <laughs> what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Uh, Leaders eat last. Simon, anything Simon Sinek ever does, we'll start with why and all those things. But Leaders Eat Last, I think, is pivotal. It talks about the eat so the endorphin, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, which is huge when it yeah. comes to doing that. One, one of the reasons why I love that book, I actually just listened to that book on audio when I was out in Thailand walking the beach every day. And what I love about that book is it teaches you any book that teaches you how the mind works yeah. and what's going on underneath the hood. And when you can, when you can start to identify mm-hmm. like what's happening, you can fix it. You, it's like when you hear that rattle in your engine and you know it's the a belt, you know right. you can replace that belt. But when you don't know what's happening, you just right. hear this noise and you don't know how to identify it. Just knowing what's going on inside your own head is so powerful, that's and that's that's the one book that will get you uh, one way or mm-hmm. one step closer to understanding yourself. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? 
thank their people. Mm. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your <laughs> your operations that's had a huge impact on uh, profitability, communication, efficiency, uh, anything along those lines? Tap Mango, which is also kind of like a five stars where we're able to, when someone gives us a one star, like reach back out to, like if they haven't been there in a while, reach back out to them. Uh, when we have reviews and we say, hey, you give us a three star review, like what do we need to do? Like the difference between feedback and criticism is how you take it. Mm. And so- we want your feedback. Tell us, like, how do we get this from three to five? And so Tap Mango allows us to, hey, we're going to send you a code. When you walk in, press it in, you press the buttons on the front of the counter, and then there's your free drink. So That's Tap Mango? Tap Mango is the one that we use. I know it's a five-star version yep. where but it just gives you access to your people and be able to, like, at any moment, you, I can throw three drinks on your, on, when you punch in your phone number, you'll have three drinks sitting at the bar for you on the on the Tap Mango. So you walk up to the counter, there's a tablet facing you, mm-hmm. for uh, customer facing, that you, they enter in their phone number, right. which allows you to communicate to them and uh, get that, it's a way to get feedback, and it's T-A-P-M-A-N-G. Yeah, tap Mango. Mango. M-A-N-G-O. Mango. Yeah. Tap Mango. Cool. Thank you. Uh, this is the last question. <laughs> it's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you and your restaurants, your your cafes, your your music halls would be lost with your departure. Uh, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. The three things you could tie uh, to your legacy. What would those three things be? It's funny uh, that I'm... This question is something that when I do one-on-ones with all the employees, I, I do a similar thing where, uh, you know, if you die today. So I hear a lot of fucking answers. <laughs> uh, man, uh, I definitely think first and foremost, time. Time is your most valuable asset. Uh, people don't run off the cliff enough. They sit there and they stand on the edge and they say, oh, man, I don't know if I should do this. Like, it, if you don't have the time, treasure, or talent, I just feel like. People need to just how far is the fall? Like mm-hmm. I mean, like and if you if you fall down, you get like you're only as good as your first failure anyway. You know, so, so there's only so much time. Take the time leap. for sure. That's one. Two, uh, I think it comes back to that culture. Uh, you, you you that infinite game where we talked about. There's a winner and a loser in a finite game. Having playing a fi- playing an infinite game where the the values I'm instilling, I'm hoping that we are instilling in our team will long last after I get hit by a bus or we continue on. So that's... Take the leap. Play the infinite infinite game. Yeah. What's the third one? Man. uh, I would say it has to be just having empathy. Like uh, creating a situation where you have empathy, where you realize that the people that, one, that work for you, the people that come spend their money in your restaurant and your business, having empathy where seeing... Where they're coming from, I think, is ABC is not always be closing. ABC is always be curious. Mm. And so knowing what they want and need, talking to them. like that. So I think that in a long-winded answer, that I think that that's really important is to empathy and curiosity within for those people because that's who gets – like you may have a great concept and idea, but it cannot be executed without – 
your people that work for you and the people who purchase from you. You know, Jason Sabala, I've loved this conversation, dude. We, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is one operator, somebody that you respect and, remi- and, and admire who believe, who you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made? Dude, you already made it easy. Sam Moganum. Sam Moganum. Absolutely. Look I am coming after you. You've been on my radar for years now. I would love to get you on the show. And I'm planning on going to San Francisco dude, I, I'll, I'll, before I'll the end of the happen, year. Right? So let's make that happen. And let the folks at home know. How can we connect with you uh, if we want to learn more about Cobra or if we just want to maybe uh, ask you a couple questions about the, the things you share with us today? What's the best way to connect? Email Sabala at Buzzmill Coffee, Sabala at BuzzmillCoffee.com. I am at Buzzmill. I'm in the stores every day, so every day. So anytime you want to walk in and I was there this morning. He was sitting down at a table. I will vouch for him. He's there. <laughs> so I, I love talking conscious capitalism and helping culture all day long. Beautiful, man. I've loved this conversation. Uh, head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash hang around to the end of the show for the closing thoughts because I forgot what episode number I'm on. And you'll find a summary of today's discussion uh, over there as well as uh, tools and services that were recommended and how to connect with Jason. Jason, again, thank you so much, my thank friend. You. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.